Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. I know I usually do use the handheld for my sermons, but since we're having a little trouble with that one today, I'm going to use this one, and I'll try to just speak clearly and loudly for those of you that sometimes have trouble hearing from this one, so I'll try to be extra attentive to that today. So we are in this series when we are looking at um, who we are, and uh, we're using Paul's letters and the book of Acts in order to do that, and today we're going to talk about a particular charge that people level against those of us that are in the church often. So to get in that frame of mind here now, a couple of passages from 1 Corinthians. Now concerning meat that has been sacrificed to a false god, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes people arrogant, but love builds people up. If anyone thinks they know something, they don't yet know as much as they should know. But if someone loves God, then they are known by God. So concerning the actual food involved in these sacrifices to false gods, we know that a false god isn't anything in this world, and that there is no God except for the one God. Granted, there are so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. However, for us believers, there is one God the Father, all things come from him and we belong to him. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ, all things exist through him and we live through him. But not everybody knows this. Some are eating this food as though it really is food sacrificed to a real idol because they were used to idol worship until now. Their conscience is weak because it has been damaged. Food won't bring us close to God. We're not missing out if we don't eat, and we don't have any advantage if we do eat. But watch out or else this freedom of yours might be a problem for those who are weak. Suppose someone sees you, the person who has knowledge, eating in an idol's temple. Won't the person with a weak conscience be encouraged to eat the meat sacrificed to false gods? The weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. You sin against Christ if you sin against your brothers and sisters and hurt their weak consciences this way. This is why if food causes the downfall of my brother or sister, I won't eat meat ever again or else I may cause my brother or sister to fall. Although I'm free... From all people, I make myself a slave to all people to recruit more of them. I act like a Jew to the Jews so I can recruit Jews. I act like I'm under the law to those under the law so I can recruit those who are under the law, though I myself am not under the law. I act like I'm outside the law to those who are outside the law so I can recruit those outside the law, though I'm not outside the law of God, but rather under the law of Christ. I act weak to the weak so I can recruit the weak. I have become all things to all people, so I could save some by all possible means. All the things I do are for the sake of the gospel, so I can be a partner with it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes, that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So how many of you have ever had someone come up to you and say, 
or be in conversation with you and say, I'm never going to join the church because the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Anybody had that happen? All right, all right, all right. And I will share with you that Barna, which is a, an organization that does research on the state of the church, they're probably one of the best organizations currently out there doing this work. Um, in the middle part of the last decade, they did a survey on what keeps people from coming to church. And the number one answer was, the leaders are hypocrites. That's right. Um, that is what keeps people from churches, our hypocrisy, and particularly the hypocrisy of the leaders. So how do we address this charge? Well, that's one thing. And we'll get there, Clark. Don't anticipate where I'm headed. Um, but um, uh, no, the, the first thing that we need to do is, is note that there are two kinds of hypocrisy at work here. One kind that I would call misrepresented hypocrisy, and the other is actual moral hypocrisy. So let's talk about the two differences here. So misrepresented hypocrisy is that there's a narrative out there that has um, associated Christianity with some, some things that are not actually biblical. They're not actually true to our faith um, in its history and, and in its origins in, in Scripture. Um, but it's been sort of portrayed out there that if you're, this, if you're a Christian, then you don't do these sorts of things. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One is cussing. All right. There is an injunction in the Bible against cursing. But cursing is using the name of God to bring a curse upon another human. To bring harm, to wish harm on another beloved child of God and to use God's name to do that. That is cursing. And we are not to do that. Then there are um, some words in the Bible that, that remind us that we should use our words to build people up rather than tear people down. We see that, for instance, in the letter to James, that, that words should be used in kindness and gentleness, things like that. And so we should not use words, any words, really, to tear down other people. That is not reflective of the people that we are called to be. However, when it comes to naming injustices, when it comes to calling out sin, sometimes you need some really good words to name that, right? And you sometimes need words that have a bit of a shock factor to do it. And I will go ahead and tell you that some of those words that we might use in that way are used in the Bible. We don't translate them, but they're there in Hebrew and Greek, and they're used by both the prophets and by Paul to point those things out. They get rather feisty with their language when they're addressing injustices and sin, not tearing down people, but tearing down systems that need to change. Now let's also talk about another one. Let's talk about drinking. Y'all, Jesus turned water into wine. I mean, come on, right? There, there is, alcohol was consumed all throughout the Bible. In that context, especially, it was the safest thing to drink. Drinking water was not always a good idea. But alcohol was safer to drink in many ways. And there are... There are words of wisdom in the Bible, like in Ecclesiastes, that we shouldn't drink to excess. That drunkenness is a problem. And that drinking to excess can lead to 
some harmful decisions or some harmful cre- you know, parts, things that will happen to our body. So we should not drink to excess. But when it comes to drinking, there, there really is no biblical injunction against it, right? So sometimes our hypocrisy that we're judged for, we're un- judged unfairly by a false narrative that we're tied into. Now there is also actual moral hypocrisy. And that is when we fail at loving people and maintaining community. When we act out of selfish desires for our own gain or our own lusts or our own loves or our own advantage, particularly at the disadvantage or the harm of other people or harm to the community or disruption of the community. When we, when we do things that hurt others, then we are being hypocrites, standing up here saying we follow Jesus. And sometimes, when we choose what we would call right behavior, we harm the relationships. And if you think about it, Jesus had a, a ton of examples of this, where he healed people on the Sabbath. The right behavior would be to honor the Sabbath, but for him... What mattered was setting free people from disease and and affliction instead. Now, that's what brings us to these passages here in 1 Corinthians on hypocrisy. So, it probably seems a little strange that I spent so much time reading to you about how we should not eat meat sacrificed to idols, because that is not a live concern for any of us, is it? (laughs) When was the last time someone offered you a meat sacrifice to Zeus? Probably hasn't happened here lately, right? But the logic that's in that passage is very important to us because what Paul is saying is that as someone is new to the faith and they're trying to understand the faith, what we should not do are things that would interrupt their growth in that faith, right? We need to, we need to think about the other person and whether this would be a problem for them. And in Paul's time, he knows and people that are mature in the faith know that meat sacrifice to idols means nothing because there are no other gods, But people that have recently come into Christianity, who maybe just worshipped Zeus three days ago, um, it's a little bit more of a struggle for them. Then it makes confusion for them. They're like, wait, but I thought you said there was only one God, but then now you're eating this meat sacrificed to Zeus, so do you recognize Zeus? Paul's saying it's not worth it. It's not worth it to, to mess up their faith journey just so you can have a steak. Right? You you got to pay attention to what the people around you need and the example that you can be for them in the midst of that. And, and then at the same time, Paul has this, follows that with this passage of that he's going to be all things to all people, which makes him really look hypocritical. Like, he'll just do whatever he wants to do. Except, again, let's look at the frame of what he's doing, why he's making that choice. It sounds a little bit like he's being a con man, right? I'll pretend to be a Jew when I'm with the Jews, and I'll be, pretend to be a Gentile when I'm with the Gentiles, and I'll pretend to be weak when I'm with weak people. It sounds a little bit like he is, you know, faking it. Except that he actually is all of those things. And because he loves people and wants to be present with people and wants to bring people Jesus Christ, he's willing to be those things. It's not out of inauthenticity. It's about wanting to love people enough to go into their world and be part of their world and learn about their world and then talk about Jesus in a way that makes sense to them. 
Now, he is choosing right relationship over right behavior. He believes that arbitrary things like this just get in the way. That at the core, what matters is faith in Jesus Christ and showing love to God and love to others. And that's what we choose. Now, life in Christ is supposed to be transformative. And what it should transform us into is people who love better. And when we fail at that, that's when we're in the realm of moral hypocrisy. We have failed to love. Now, I put a question on Facebook to get ready for this sermon. And I said, when have you been a hypocrite for a good reason? And I found a lot of people sharing reasons that they'd been hypocrites. Not very many good reasons. About the best good reason that I saw was in the, the teachers that would say, you know, I'd, I'd give my students a, a homework deadline, but then I'm way behind on grading because I need the rest. Right? Well, there's, there's two realities there. There's the one that is, you know, it's important to know that there are deadlines and you have work that needs to be done. That's an important lesson. And there's a value to Sabbath rest. Sometimes you just need it. So those two can stand in tension with one another. I did love, I did, one of my friends said, um, I, I feel like I've been a hypocrite always for good reason. That's how I would have said, said it. Um, but I am a you know, master of self-justification, right? Um, and so we do have to watch that. We have to watch when are we letting our own desires overrun what is good for others and for the community. So now how does this actually work? Well, since that Barna um, survey said that the problem with the Christian church is the leaders being hypocrites, I'm going to talk about how this works for me as your leader. And let's, let's start out from this um, example of the false narrative of hypocrisy that's thrown out there for us. What I would say is a basic good pastoral practice when it comes to, to some of these things is read the room, right? So let's talk about drinking and cussing with regard to that. So I walk into a, a room. Let's start with drinking. I walk into a room, and I am going to survey the field. And if there is one person not drinking in the room, it is likely that I will not drink. And the reason is because I don't know why that one person is not drinking. Maybe they just don't like alcohol. But maybe they're uncomfortable and maybe they're in recovery. And they need someone to stand alongside them in that space and make them feel comfortable. Everybody else is drinking. They've got their community this person needs community. I'm going to choose not to drink, right? Now, if I'm in a room and everybody's drinking, then I may drink. And the reason is, is because sometimes when the pastor walks in the room and everybody's drinking and they're all like, uh-oh, are we supposed to be drinking? It's fine. <laughs> and I will drink in order for them to, to feel that and to know that they can be community and we're okay. This is not a make or break on the faith. Now, I will tell you that if you're all drinking beer, it's going to be really hard for me. I have not yet found a beer that I like, but wine, I can go there. Beer's a little, a little tougher for me. Now, when it comes to cussing, I have more than once had someone say to me, you know, I'd really love to be part of the church, but I just don't feel like I'd be welcome there. You know, I cuss a lot. 
And I feel like that wouldn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't bring, be my authentic self in the, in the church. So my response to that is to let the expletives fly. <laughs> just so they know, no, it's just, this is not, should not be a barrier to you being part of this community. But on the other hand, um, I was serving a church, and we were, we, uh, myself and another parishioner were standing in front of what I like to call the wall of shame. You know, the, the, the pictures of all the pastors that have served. Usually when you, when you come into a church, one of the first things that happens is you're taken to that wall of the picture of the pastors, and you're told everything that all the pastors have done wrong. Right? So it's the wall of shame. And in, in this particular wall of shame, I happened to know that there were two pastors that each had run off with the secretary and had an affair and run off with the secretary. And there was one pastor that embezzled a bunch of money. Right? So these, these pictures of these men are, are right in front of us. And this, this parishioner is looking at them and she says, you know, just sitting here thinking, I think about the very worst thing a pastor could ever do would be to cuss. And I thought, really? I mean, you see these guys. And I wanted to, you know, the ornery part of me wanted to just let some words fly, but instead what I did was made a mental note. Don't ever cuss in front of this woman. It's going to interrupt her faith. It's going to be hard on her. And that's also why I don't cuss from the pulpit, because we got parents that are raising kids and trying to help them understand proper use of language. We've got people that that might be very disturbing to hear their pastor do that. And I can't, I can't pull the field. But when one of y'all cusses around me and you go, whoops, I'm like, ah, oh, come on, y'all, it's fine. And that reminds me though thinking about that wall of shame that there are real things that that a leader can do that do cause harm that do break community having an affair embezzling there are people that left the church over those things and they'll never be back they'll never be back and that's why it matters it matters to not act in a selfish way to act in a loving way, and to always consider where the other person is in their faith. And to try to meet them where they are and be present in their life like that. And I got to say that being present in people's lives is the best part of this job. This all things to all people that I get to do is amazing. I have ridden on a combine and watched as it ripped up the soybeans and took everything up with it and then put shelled soybeans in the back and learned all about how then the machine can actually tell by the weight of the beans how much moisture content there is in the beans and how much they'll get paid for based on when they've harvested. I did the soybean harvest, I did the cotton harvest, I did milo harvest, and I learned. And I walked alongside. And I've walked alongside all of you. I have learned incredible things from you. I have learned about the challenges of practicing justice and law in this world, in this very complicated world. 
I have learned what it's like to be family with a veteran. We, we celebrate Veterans Day this week. And I've heard the stories of not only your service, but the service of the ones that you love and the sacrifice of the ones that you've loved. I have learned how to navigate ICU. I've learned how serious pancreatitis is. I've learned what it means to sit at the bedside of someone in hospice. I have heard the journeys of all kinds of family situations. What it means to lose a job. What it means to come out to your family. What it means to try to teach in this very confusing world that it is today. I've learned about jazz. I've learned how to live stream and edit video. I've learned how to mud and tape a wall. I didn't actually do it, but I heard about it. I've driven a lift. All from being alongside you all. Living life with you all. Being all things to all people because I'm called to love you all. But you know what? That's not just my job. That's what you get to do too. You get to love each other. And learn from each other. And live alongside each other. Hear about life experiences. Experience the joys and the heartaches, the loss and the gains all together. Because that is what the church is. When we choose love over selfishness, we choose to be people alongside people. That's what Jesus has called us to do. So my friends, my word to you today is go and be a hypocrite. Be all things to all people. Because when we are all things to all people, then we love all people. And we are doing exactly what Jesus has called us to do. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.